Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Oh, hi. Hello there. I didn't see you. This is Liv, and you're listening to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby. This is the podcast where I air my crazy and tell you all about the wonder and madness of the ancient Greeks. Before we delve back into that war we all know too well, I thought I would let you know my plan for upcoming episodes. I will be in Athens towards the end of September, and unfortunately I won't have time to prepare a full episode in time for it to come out while I'm away. So what I'll do instead is butter you all up with a couple of mini myths which are easier for me and that way I can give you multiple. Then, once I'm back from Athens, I'll prepare a bonus episode for Patreon listeners, and we'll get back to my pseudo-regularly scheduled programming when it comes to this podcast. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, now is the time to get in the game, because I hope to post pretty non-stop while in Greece, because goddammit, I'll be in Greece, and I bought data, so I'm gonna use it. Between Instagram and the bonus content on the Patreon, I will give you tours of where I am, posting videos, which will be super weird for me, but I'm gonna do it and photos, and anecdotes, and man alive, guys, we'll just have it all. The whole recording myself on video will hopefully go smoothly and not consist of me just feeling like a loon talking to myself in tourist locales. So follow me on Instagram, it's MythBaby, and stay tuned, I'm pretty fucking excited, okay? This is episode 38, The Iliad, part 10. Patroclus, Patroclus, Patroclus. The war is finally nearing an end, my friends. Things are winding down, people are dying left, right, and center, and shit just is generally hitting the fan. So before we're thrown right back into the action, 
I thought I'd begin this episode, the 10th of the series of the Iliad, with a bit of a recap. I know I throw a lot of ancient Greek names at you, and often assume you're all as crazy as me and know exactly where we are in the story and remember who everyone is. This is not a fair expectation, as the majority of you just find this stuff interesting and haven't devoted your life to memorizing all of the lunacy. But I mean, why haven't you? So let's recall our major players at this stage. This whole mess began when a prince named Paris sailed to Sparta to, in essence, hold court with the king of Sparta, Menelaus. Menelaus is married to Helen, the most beautiful woman in the world, daughter of Zeus and Leda, and just generally super hot. Unbeknownst to old Menelaus, Paris had been promised the most beautiful woman in the world by Aphrodite, and so when he finally met Helen, he felt sure this was her and that the two were meant to be together. Whether Helen left on her own accord or by force is a question we don't really have the answer to, but it's much more romantic to take the story where she and Paris fell truly madly deeply in love and just had to be together, so they returned to Troy. Menelaus is, of course, quite distraught. His super-hot wife, who didn't like him all that much, is gone. What's he to do? He'll be the laughingstock of all of Greece. So Menelaus tells his warmongering brother, Agamemnon, king of Mycenae, what's happened, and Agamemnon vows war against the Trojans. There's a historical reason why all of Greece ends up being involved in this war, but I won't go into that because it's just not important enough to be included in this recap. Listen to the episodes on the origin of the Trojan War if you're so interested. Cheese! So all of Greece sails with Agamemnon and Menelaus to fight the Trojans in Troy, which is in what is now Turkey. Prominent and powerful Greeks, both in terms of strength and standing in the Greek world, include the aforementioned Menelaus and Agamemnon. Agamemnon is the head of the Greek army and for sure just wants the glory of overtaking Troy and doesn't really give a shit about Menelaus' wife. My main man Odysseus, king of Ithaca and all-around badass. Odysseus is cunning and strong and generally great. Ajax the Great and Ajax the Lesser. We don't care that much about Ajax the Lesser for obvious reasons, but it's helpful to know there are two. Ajax the Great is enormous and strong and generally awesome, basically famous for his strength and his size. He's super helpful to the Greeks. Diomedes, eh, but one who was favored by Athena and so became super important in the battle itself. He's constantly running on god fumes and kills everyone in his path. Nestor is a leader of the Greeks and is older than most of the others. He likes to bring that up often, both in helpful and unhelpful ways. Generally, though, he's considered to be a wise counsel when the Greeks need it. Achilles, 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 Achilles. He's the son of Thetis and Peleus, and he takes after his mother, a goddess of sorts. Achilles, of course, was destined to be part of the Trojan War, something his mother tried desperately to get him out of. Thetis had learned when Achilles was much younger that he was destined to either live a long but unglorious life, or to die young and famous in the Trojan War. So she tried to keep him from it, hiding him on an island, but he was found out and brought to the war. He too knows of his destiny, and so when he was slighted by Agamemnon, he chose to hide out in his anger, avoiding the war entirely. The slight was that Agamemnon took a woman, a prisoner that Achilles had originally kept for himself, Briseis. Agamemnon had taken her as his own spoil of war, and Achilles took this opportunity to bow out on the pretext that he was so mortally offended by Agamemnon's actions that he had no desire to help the Greeks to victory. Victory that seemed to be only theirs if they did indeed have Achilles' help, which is where we are now. Achilles also leads the Myrmidons, a group of powerful warriors who came over with Achilles from his homeland. 
Now, did Achilles bow out because of his actual anger at the removal of Briseis, or was he more afraid of the prophecy that would have him die young in the battle against the Trojans? It's entirely unclear by the Iliad itself, but if you've read the Song of Achilles, you know that in that world, he's afraid of death as well as angry at the slight, but not so much angry because he wanted Briseis for himself, but simply at the hurt ego of having Agamemnon take something that was his. In the Song of Achilles, of course, Achilles is completely dedicated to Patroclus, his companion since childhood. I won't go too deeply into that version because it is a novel, but goddammit, if you haven't read that book, you should go do it right now. Which leads us to Patroclus. Patroclus is the companion of Achilles. He's been with Achilles since they were both very young and is completely devoted to the man, and vice versa. They're referred to in the Iliad as each other's beloveds, but still it's not entirely clear whether they were actually in a romantic relationship. Back then, this wouldn't have been entirely sanctioned, but it also wouldn't have been out of the ordinary at all. More just something that isn't entirely official, out in the open, but isn't actually a problem. I choose to believe that they were together and very much in love, but that may be just because I've read the Song of Achilles and had my heart broken. Where we last left Patroclus, he was being convinced to disguise himself as Achilles and head into battle against the Trojans. The thought was that if the Trojans saw who they assumed to be Achilles coming at them, they would be too fearful, and the others that would be with Patroclus disguised as Achilles would do the work for him. He'd be fine. This man who wasn't much into battle and wasn't much of a fighter, he'd be fine. Now, the Trojans. Another quick recap of the major players, so that you guys aren't completely lost when I delve back into this. Paris. I think I've said enough about Paris earlier in discussing the history of it all, Menelaus and Helen. But let's just say that Paris, now with Helen and Troy, is a bit of a dink. A dink that causes endless trouble, and when he does fight, does it with a bow and arrow so he can be as far away from the battle itself as possible. He's just... he's not great, as much as I do love Legolas. Hector. Hector is Paris's brother, who actually has a lot of integrity and is a great fighter. He's leading the Trojans against the Greeks and making it difficult to root for the Greeks to win it all, because, well, Hector's nice. He loves his wife Andromache and his young son. He's very sympathetic. Oh, Hector. Priam. Priam is the king of Troy and the father of Paris and Hector and, frankly, a shit ton of other kids as he seems to have been quite prolific. Every few pages we hear of another of Priam's offspring who's either fighting in the battle or, most often, has just died in it. Priam is married to Hecuba, and isn't much one for fighting himself, so he's leaving it all up to his sons, Hector and Paris, and all the other ones who keep dying. Aeneas. Aeneas is an important man in Troy, or its surrounding areas, I always forget. He's important in this battle, as he's been one of the more consequential Trojan warriors. You'll also recall that he's the son of Aphrodite, so that makes him inherently more impressive than most. Of course, Aeneas' most important and consequential actions are still to come. There's a little Roman book named after him, and it tells a bit of an important tale. Now, back to what exactly is going on with all these Greeks and Trojans? How are things looking, we might wonder. Ever since Hera seduced Zeus, and whilst Zeus was sleeping, Poseidon had turned to the Greeks to help them defeat the Trojans. Finally, the Greeks had a leg up and were steadily pushing back against the Trojans, away from their ships and towards the Trojans' own city, with the Greeks advancing on them. But, of course, Zeus can't sleep forever. 
Finally, he wakes up, realizes what has just gone down, and boy does he ever lose his shit. He's hysterical. He threatens Hera, calling her a treacherous bitch, and tells her that he's considering going to get his whip so he can beat her well and truly. They have a nice marriage, don't you think? Super loving, not at all awful and dysfunctional. And I won't put all the blame on Zeus here. Hera's being awful too. They're just awful people married to each other, which I guess in the long run is better for others. At least most of their awfulness is directed at each other. Zeus threatens and threatens. He even reminds Hera of the time that he strung her up with anvils hanging from her as she dangled. So seriously, that's really nice. In response, Hera throws Poseidon under the bus. She promises Zeus that she had nothing to do with Poseidon helping the Greeks as they began to finally defeat the Trojans. Zeus believes her, though not entirely. He sends a message with Iris, the messenger goddess from an earlier Trojan War episode. He sends her with the message to Poseidon that Zeus is commanding him to stop what he's doing. He's not to help the Greeks win anymore. He's to return to his realm in the sea. And if he doesn't, Zeus will make him leave by force. This, well, this doesn't go well. Poseidon is, I would say, rightly, offended. He reminds everyone that the two are brothers. Sure, Zeus controls the sky, but Poseidon controls the sea and Hades the underworld. They each have a third, with the earth itself under the domain of them all. Poseidon claims that they're equals, even if Zeus is an itty bit older, by the weird standard of the others being thrown up after Zeus defeated their father, even though technically it was Zeus who was born last. But that's just a long story, so go re-listen to the first episode, why don't you? Anyway, Poseidon is just crazy offended, but he's also telling us a bit of a different side of Greek mythology. Here he's very clear that Zeus is not above he or Hades at all. They all rule equally, even though Zeus frequently likes to act as if he's the straight-up leader. But according to Poseidon here, that's all bullshit, and Zeus isn't the king of the gods at all. Way to put him in his place, Poseidon. After hearing the message from Zeus, Poseidon finally does concede. After pointing out that Zeus isn't the boss of him, he agrees that he'll go back down into the sea and stop meddling in the business of the humans down on Earth. But he does warn Zeus that if the Trojans win, if the Greeks are defeated and the Trojans left to thrive without consequence, then Zeus will sorely regret it. With that, he leaves and heads back to his world under the sea, under the sea, leaving the Greeks to somehow continue to defeat the Trojans without him. Meanwhile, Hector has been horribly injured when a boulder is thrown at him. Zeus sends Apollo down to help him, and Apollo meets him on the battlefield to hear his complaints about what's just gone down, and to fill him with an incredible strength that will bring him right back up to where he was when he was at his best. He's full of god power now, and once again, the tables are turning. I swear, the story would be so short and not change that much if I just said, the Greeks were winning, and then the Trojans were winning, and then the Greeks were winning, on and on until the end. But lucky for you, I much prefer the overly detailed and expansive version where you get a zillion episodes all about one war. You're welcome. So with the help of Apollo, Hector is once again ready to go. Now, more than ever, he and Apollo lead the Trojans into battle. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. 
jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio, and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Meanwhile, Patroclus is still with Eurypylus, attending to his wounds in one of their tents. This is where we last left him where he was being convinced to go into battle disguised as Achilles. Now, though, he's heard this proposition and continued to wait, listening to the battle as it rages on outside, and continually hearing of more injuries and deaths as everything wages on. The Greeks are succeeding for a while, but then the Trojans go back to being powerful and back to being backed by the gods, which can only go badly for the Greeks. Finally, Patroclus concedes they need him, He tells Eurypylus that he can't stay with him anymore. Someone else will have to come take care of him. He needs to go see Achilles. So Patroclus heads back to Achilles' tent, where Achilles, too, is well aware of what's been happening. But he's much less phased. Patroclus goes to Achilles with tears in his eyes, begging him to finally enter the battle and help the Greeks defeat the Trojans. He tells Achilles that Diomedes, Odysseus, Agamemnon all have been injured by the Trojans. Isn't Achilles going to do anything to help his people? The least you can do, Achilles, is to send me out in your armor, Patroclus tells him. At the very least, there'll be someone on the battlefield that everyone believes is Achilles, and that alone will do something to help the Greeks and hurt the Trojans. They'll all believe that Achilles is there with all his power and skills, and they'll convince themselves they can't beat him. Finally, Achilles concedes. He tells Patroclus that he knows he can't be mad forever, but still, he doesn't say he'll enter the battle himself. It seems that his concession, that he can't be mad forever, applies to Patroclus using Achilles' armor and disguising himself. It doesn't stretch so far as to say Achilles himself will fight in the battle. So, he tells Patroclus, You can put on my armor, and I'll help you assemble the Myrmidons and my horses, and you can lead them into battle. 
Go, he tells him. Head into battle and attack them with everything you have. But, he tells Patroclus, as soon as you've saved the ships from destruction, come back to me and let the others keep fighting. Achilles continues, explaining that he hopes and wishes that all the Trojans die and all the Greeks die, and it's only he and Patroclus left to crumble the buildings of Troy together. Achilles is a dark dude, but at least he loves Patroclus. So, Patroclus dons all of Achilles' armor, and it is a lot of armor, and he takes Achilles' horses, and he leads the Myrmidons into battle. Patroclus, disguised as Achilles and the Myrmidons, swarm the battlefield, startling everyone there. No one thought they'd see Achilles fighting in this battle. It's been too long, and there's been too much death already. But now, the Trojans spot Achilles' shining armor as he rages towards them on his chariot, Myrmidon streaming behind him. The Trojans are terrified. They realize that Achilles must have finally let go of his anger, probably because of how close they've gotten to the Greek ships, having set one on fire just moments before Achilles came after them. They look around wildly, hoping to find some means of escaping. Patroclus himself is full of energy, appearing as he is in Achilles' armor. It makes him feel powerful, like he can do anything Achilles can. He throws his spear and it draws blood. He kills countless Trojans in his wake as he thunders through the battlefield. Killing so many in his path, Patroclus finally reaches the gates of Troy with the Myrmidons. But the gods can't let him get that close, and Apollo appears, hell-bent on ending Patroclus' life before he can defeat the Trojans. First, he yells down to him, telling Patroclus that he isn't fated to defeat the Trojans now. He should turn back. The Trojans must fall to a greater man than he. Hearing this, Patroclus hesitates a little. Apollo, meanwhile, now goes to Hector. He transforms himself into a powerful man known to Hector, and he riles him up, telling him to go straight at Patroclus. Hector's motivated by this, and he brings all his men with him as he goes at Patroclus, ignoring all other Greeks in his path. He knows who he wants to kill, and he doesn't much care if others escape in the process. Patroclus sees Hector coming, and he throws his spear. But it doesn't hit Hector. It misses him and instead hits another Trojan with him. It hits him between the eyes, shattering his skull and sending his eyeballs flying. Patroclus continues charging at the Trojans, killing more men every time. He's full of adrenaline, and the success he's had so far is bolstering him. Still, he feels as powerful as Achilles. The armor is giving him confidence. He knows the power of Achilles, his closest friend and likely his boyfriend, and he knows how powerful he too is in the armor alone. For hours, he and the Myrmidons continue their success against the Trojans, killing countless men as they go. But as the sun begins to set, and Patroclus charges at the Trojans once more, the narration of the Iliad switches. Now the narrator directs everything as if he's speaking to Patroclus himself. It has the effect of dramatizing the forthcoming events far more than before. It's powerful. 
were speaking directly to Patroclus as everything begins to crumble around him. Apollo meets you on the battlefield, covering himself in a mist so that he's unseen by you. He appears and knocks off the glittering helmet of Achilles that you're wearing. It falls to the ground, now covered in blood and dirt. Zeus gives the helmet to Hector to wear, signaling even more trouble for you as the gods gang up against you. Now, your spear shatters in your hand and your shield falls from your shoulders. Apollo comes up and unfastens your breastplate, letting it fall to the ground and exposing your bare flesh. From behind, you're stabbed by a Trojan in the shoulder. You're wounded, but you survive. You're now without armor and stabbed in the shoulder, and you try to retreat. You try to flee to get away, but you know the end is coming. And Hector sees you too. Hector charges at you, and he drives his spear into your stomach, pushing it all the way through into the other side. You fall to your knees, clutching your belly where the spear is driven through. Hector stands over you as you die, telling you it's too bad not even your precious Achilles can save you now. He tells you that Achilles must have given you orders to not come back until you've wounded Hector. Of course, you know this isn't true. You know you went farther than Achilles ever wanted you to. Achilles wanted you to drive the Trojans away from the ships, nothing further. He didn't want you going at Hector. Achilles knew it wouldn't go well. But you didn't listen to Achilles, though. You just wanted it all to end. You wanted an end to the violence. And as soon as you'd put on Achilles' armor and his helmet, you knew that you were powerful. You wanted to do what you could, and you took it too far. And now, with your dying breath, you tell Hector that he can boast all he wants, but you know the truth. You're only dying now because Zeus and Apollo wanted you to. It's them who made this happen, not Hector. And not only that, you tell him, but death will come for you too, Hector, sooner than you think. So you die in the bloody sand at the feet of Hector. It's Menelaus that first sees that Patroclus has fallen, and he rushes over to him to defend the body. He stands over Patroclus, holding his spear and threatening to kill whoever comes near. But more and more Trojans, led by Hector, come at Menelaus as he tries to defend the fallen Patroclus, and finally he's forced to move away from the body. Quickly, Hector strips Patroclus and takes the remaining armor as well as that that had been removed by the gods. He begins to try to pull Patroclus away. He wants to cut off his head and feed it to the dogs, which is where I begin to dislike Hector a bit more than I had before. It's a bit of overkill, don't you think, Hector? Pun unfortunately, intended. Ajax, though, sees what Hector is trying to do, and he comes up immediately to protect the body along with Menelaus. He places his shield over Patroclus and stands above it, daring anyone to get closer. Meanwhile, Zeus watches as Hector replaces his own armor with that of Achilles, which he's just stripped off the poor dead body of beloved Patroclus. 
Zeus watches Hector and notes that before long, death will reach him too, even though he may be wearing such a powerful man's armor. It was a mistake, Hector, taking that armor and wearing it yourself, one that you'll regret. The Greeks fought and fought and fought with the Trojans over the body of Patroclus. Zeus looks down on them and pities them. Athena goes down to them and tries to help where she can. Still, Achilles doesn't know that Patroclus has been killed. He's in his tent, assuming Patroclus is still out fighting, pushing back the Trojans away from the Greek camps. Meanwhile, almost every other Greek is fighting to keep control over the body of Patroclus and not let it be ruined and disgraced by the Trojans. For hours, the Greeks tried to defend the body of Patroclus. Finally, they know they must tell Achilles what's happened in the hopes that he'll come help them. Help them defeat the Trojans, but more importantly, help them defend the body of this man he loved so much. So Menelaus finds a man and sends him to find Achilles to let him know what's happened. Antilochus races toward Achilles' tent with the news. Meanwhile, though, Achilles himself has been worried that something's happened. He notices that once again the Greeks are falling back toward their camps. They're no longer pushing into the Trojans. Achilles thinks to himself, praying to the gods that what he's fearing isn't true. His mother had told him that while he was still alive, the best of the Greeks would fall to the Trojans. He realizes now this must have meant Patroclus, the best among them, the one who wanted to help most, who wanted most to see an end to this bloodshed. Before he's even been told the news, Achilles begins to blame himself. First, he exclaims inwardly that he told Patroclus to come back immediately after pushing the Trojans away from the camps. Why hadn't he listened? But he knows it's more his fault than that. Maybe Patroclus hadn't listened, but he hadn't listened because all he wanted was an end to this, and Achilles had refused to help for so long. Patroclus took it into his own hands. Antilochus arrives, and he tells Achilles what he'd been fearing is true. Patroclus is dead, and Hector has stripped his body naked. It's lying in the bloody dirt as everyone fights over it. With a deep sigh, Achilles takes in this news. He picks up soot from his fire, and he pours it over himself in his clothing, covering himself with dirt and grime. Achilles groans and puts his head in his hands before screaming out in pain. He screams so loudly that his mother hears it where she sits by the sea with her father. She knows immediately, never again will Achilles return home safely. Never again will she see him there, away from the war and the death. Achilles hasn't yet died, but the death of Patroclus foretells the death of Achilles. She goes to Achilles telling him that now that Patroclus is gone, she knows that he will go after Hector and kill him himself, and that once Hector is gone, it won't be long before Achilles himself is dead. That's what she's been worrying about all this time. Achilles, though, doesn't see this as a problem anymore. He tells his mother that he hopes it comes quickly, now that the man he loved more than himself is gone. He allowed his beloved to be killed when he could have saved him, and he doesn't want to live with that. With a sigh, Thetis concedes. 
She knows there's nothing to be done about this, but at least it can be put off slightly. She tells Achilles to wait before heading out to the battle. Hector has his armor, so he has nothing to wear to protect himself even for a little while. He should wait. She'll go up to Olympus and have Hephaestus make him some armor. Achilles agrees, though he's not happy about it, and he waits. He waits and waits, and finally he's approached by Iris. She tells him that she has a message from Hera. Hera wants him to know that the Greeks and the Trojans are butchering each other. They need his help desperately. Hector wants to cut off Patroclus' head and impale it on a stake. He wants to have Troy's dogs eat what's left of him. Achilles must go now if he's going to stop this. She tells him not to worry about armor. He should just show himself to the Trojans as he is. Achilles agrees. He doesn't care anymore. But before he leaves, Athena encircles him with a magical shield and surrounds him with a mist. Achilles leaves with a war cry so loud that it pierces everything around him and travels all the way to the battlefield to be heard by both the Greeks and the Trojans. When Achilles arrives at the spot where Patroclus is being barely shielded by the Greeks, he lets out another scream, and another, until the Trojans are so afraid at the man before them that they back off entirely. The Greeks are finally able to drag Patroclus's body to safety, and they weep over him. Seeing this scene, Hera orders the sun to set, even though it isn't time. Reluctantly, it does, allowing the Trojans to retreat and the Greeks to mourn over Patroclus. The Trojans pull back, and the fighting stops for the moment, but the Trojans can't relax. They can't stop thinking about what they've just seen. Achilles is back. He's just reappeared after so long away from the battle, and not only that, but they couldn't possibly have made him any angrier than he is now. Oh, my heart. Patroclus, Patroclus, Patroclus. Thank you all for listening. I was happy to get to talk about Patroclus and Achilles again, though it would have been nice if this thousands of years old story had suddenly changed and allowed for the happy ending we all wanted after having read the Song of Achilles. Oh, Patroclus, how wonderful you are in that book. Well, friends, many of you will notice that I sent out the inaugural newsletter this past Sunday, and what an exciting newsletter it is. If you didn't receive it, but you want to get future ones, then sign up for my mailing list on the website, mythsbaby.com. There, I've also implemented a form where you can send me myth suggestions. There are endless, endless Greek and Roman myths, so I'm always happy to receive suggestions for one I sh- ones I should cover. You should know that I fully intend to cover the obvious ones. We'll go back to Heracles for all his escapades, and I'll absolutely be covering Bellerophon and really anyone else major, as well as all those sad folks who've been turned into the constellations. But if you know of something different, or if there's a certain god or goddess or character you want to learn more about, then please let me know. Unfortunately, in a lot of cases, we know the names and general ideas of characters, but there aren't actually any stories associated with them, so I won't be able to cover everyone, but I'll do my best. You can also suggest things you'd like included in future newsletters. I'll kind of be playing around with things based on what people do or do not like, so I'd love to hear from you. 
Again, that form is on the website, mythsbaby.com. I'll reiterate that you should follow me on Instagram to see my adventures through Athens and, you know, rate and review me on iTunes so that more people can find me. Thank you. You're all wonderful and nerdy, just like me. I'm Liv. I absolutely fucking love this shit. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.